The reading tonight is taken from Jeremiah chapter 31, starting at verse 31 to 34. It could be found in the Pew Bible on page 704. Oh, is it 703 in the Pew Bible? Oh, sorry, it just happens to be 704 in my Bible. <laughs> okay, if I haven't confused everybody. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Amen. Well, good evening, lovely to see you. So this is the basis of our talk tonight. We've been working our way through Exodus, and uh, one of the things, of course, that uh, has been coming up is, is how does the Old Testament relate to the New um, we have uh, a Bible here, and uh, uh, people think that uh, uh, it's Old Testament, New Testament, half and half, but actually, you've got all this bit here, Old Testament, and this is only the tiny little bit in the New Testament, so what's the point of this bit? Um, you know, we, we'll be asking that sort of question tonight. And one of the uh, uh, DVDs that I have found helpful recently is this one by Kevin DeYoung. He has written this book for children. I highly recommend it. It's called The Biggest Story. And uh, the uh, book has been made into a little DVD with 10 short chapters in it. I'd like you to see the first, and if we have time at the end, the last. It just lasts for two and a half minutes. So sit back and enjoy. I don't know how you find talking to uh, your workmates or people at school or uh, the people who come in contact with and ever ask the question, do you ever ask the question, uh, what are you here on earth for? What's the purpose of being alive? And if you ever dare to ask that question, it is astonishing to hear the responses back. Now, the truth is this, that we as believing people actually do know why we are here, how we have come about, and where we are going. And this is where the story of the Bible is so critical for our understanding, and why it is so important that we have an appreciation of uh, how the Bible fits together, because this is not just a story, this is our story, this is part of of who we are, and that, I think, has become 
clear over the last wee while as we've been thinking about the book of Exodus. But before I start, I want to ask a question, and I do want a response to you. If I were to ask the question, when did the church begin? What immediately comes to your mind? Pentecost. Any other response? Okay, now if we're thinking about the church as God's special called out people, a people who belong to God himself, um, Genesis chapter 12, okay, um, interesting. All right, so when did the church begin? Uh, Did it begin here or did it begin there? And that's really what we want to uh, talk about tonight because we've got a handout in front of us and you see in the center it has the cross. And above the cross you have the word covenant. God is a God of covenant. Uh, We were learning about that this morning. God has created covenant with his people. A covenant is something that is unilateral. It is something that is presented. He is the initiator. He is the one who makes this initiative towards his people. How do we respond to what God has done for us? And that's where obedience comes into the picture. So God has always wanted a relationship with a group of people. He has always wanted to be in company with a special called-out group of of people. He has called people for a relationship of love and obedience because God is a God of love, he is a God of mercy, and he is a God who wants a people for himself. Now, in the Old Testament, we know that that special called-out people was called Israel. And Israel was a nation and was uh, composed of 12 tribes. And uh, the story of uh, the 12 tribes of uh, Israel is right through the Old Testament until we come to the cross. Then Jesus uh, becomes incarnate, and uh, he starts his ministry on earth. And what does he do? He calls to himself 12 disciples a reconstituted Israel. So he has a new body of people who is continuity but discontinuity. So there's a link with the past, but there is also something new for the future. So at the top line, you see that covenant is in the center and God has always been a God of love. He's always been a God of mercy. He's always been a God who has called people out of bondage and into freedom. In the Old Testament, he was calling the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt to take them to their promised land. In the New Testament, Jesus is the one who calls people out of the bondage of sin and despair and hopelessness into the promise of eternal life. So in the top line, you've got covenant as the central theme that God is a God who makes a promise to which he calls us to respond to himself. And you've got Israel in the old and you've got the church worldwide in the new. But God has always had a people for himself. 
and that began way, way back in the beginning of time. Now, we've had on our DVD uh, the story about uh, the beginning of time where God wanted a relationship with Adam and Eve. He offered that to them. He uh, was unilateral in his care and his love, his mercy towards them, but they refused to give that obedience. And that, of course, came about uh, when the serpent uh, made uh, a, uh, a, a lie which the people believed. He said, if you, if you uh, trust um, in, in me, you will find fulfillment rather than if you trust in God. So the first Adam failed and the serpent managed to uh, win the day. And the serpent was cursed. But you also remember that while there was evil that came into the world at that time, evil did not have the last word because the promise was given that even though the serpent had done his worst one day, the son of Adam or the daughter of Eve would come who would crush the serpent's head. And if you glance over to the uh, far side of the middle, you'll see what began in the garden will end in the city. We sang about that in our first hymn tonight, Ian, uh, looking forward to the city. And instead of the first Adam, we will have the last Adam who will be in perfect relationship with the living Lord. And who is it who crushes serpent's head? It's the Lord Jesus who crushed him on the cross. So what I want to say tonight is that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is exactly the same God. He has always been a God of covenant. He's always been the same God of mercy, of love, and of freedom. He is a God who has always made covenant with his people, reaching out and asking for a response. So that relationship didn't begin there. It began way back there. I'm not going to try and confuse uh, you by uh, using words that I shouldn't use tonight, but um, there are some uh, in the Christian tradition who imagine that if you think of a railway line as, as the start of the uh, nation of Israel or starting with Adam going into uh, Abram and then to Moses, if you think of that as a railway track. So you've got a railway track where you have uh, uh, God's revelation of prophets, priests, and kings. And then you come to the incarnation. So that railway track is... Um, the, the driver of the train is uh, Moses. So you reach the end of the railway track, then you stop at the railway junction, and you've got another railway track over here, and it's a, a, it's a better railway track, and it's a better train, and this train now goes off in this direction, and the captain or the uh, driver of the train is the Lord Jesus. So that would be one idea, that you've got this Old Testament train then a juncture, and then another train uh, going up. Now, that would be uh, favoured by, by some uh, Christians, mainly of the Brethren Baptist tradition. Uh, and if you want to look up dispensationalism, you're welcome to do that. I'm not going to mention that tonight. I want to give you an alternative uh, picture tonight, and it's of one railway track. 
one railway track continuing from the word go right through to the very end of time. And this is the Covenant railway track. So it's always been the same journey. We, we uh, have gone through lots of different ways in this, in this journey, but it starts off with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. So the captain of the train or the driver of the train has always been the Lord Jesus. He's taken us through uh, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. He's gone through the cross. He takes us to glory. And uh, the captain has always been Jesus. Now we come to our book time. Uh, and uh, I always give away a book when I can. And tonight's book is by an Australian called Graham Goldsworthy. And uh, he's written a book called Jesus Through the Old Testament, Transform Your Bible Understanding. And the first person who puts their hands up who would like this, you are welcome to it. All right. So, Elizabeth... So really the, the contention that I want to put before you is that Jesus has always been in this story. He is in the story from Genesis 1 through to Revelation last chapter. He is the one that we look for from beginning to end. He is the one who has always been there. Now, in the Old Testament, Jesus has been there and we've seen him in the book of Genesis, in that very clip that we had. We've seen that as the, as the promise was made to Adam that one would come who would crush Satan's head. So there is a picture of the Lord Jesus. Now, we can only understand that at the very end of the story, but nonetheless, there is Jesus right at that early point. Then we've been looking through the book of Exodus and we've been seeing how when Moses struck the rock, Later on, the Apostle Paul tells us, and that rock was Jesus. So Jesus was there in the Exodus. Uh, we come to the story of Abraham and, and uh, Isaac, and uh, we see Jesus as the, as the sacrifice, sacrificial lamb. We see Jesus as the sacrificial lamb in the Passover. We see Jesus time after time in the Old Testament. All right, we can't see him by name, but he's there. He's the one who is, who is um, taking the, the train from start right through to finish. All right, so we've looked at the top line and we've looked at that middle section where uh, we have the first Adam and then we have the last Adam uh, and that's in the middle of the section. What I want us to see is that in the very center of this handout is the cross. So everything that happens in the Old Testament is pointing forward to the cross. Everything in the New Testament is pointing back to the cross. So Jesus is literally the crux. He is the center of the Bible. If you were to look at him from the book of Genesis right through the prophets, the priests, the kings, it's all pointing to Jesus. If you look at everything that's in the New Testament, it's all pointing back to Jesus. So the whole story is all about Jesus. Now, how does God's covenantal love work its way out in terms of 
of his relationship with other people. Now, it depends how you, you look at it, but uh, some theologians have said that there are uh, a number of ways in which God made covenant with his people. He made a covenant with Noah. He made covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with Moses and David. And then once the Lord Jesus came, do you remember at the Passover, when he was at the Passover supper, he said, I'm making a new covenant with you, a new covenant in my blood. So what we have in the Old Testament are all these covenants, six of them, the imperfect number. And in Jesus, you have the new covenant, the seventh and perfect number uh, in, in the New Testament. But all these covenants that God is making are pointing to Jesus. And the new covenant is pointing back to the cross as well. Let me try and give you a little glimpse of what I'm talking about, these covenants that were made. First of all, let's take Noah. Um, do you remember uh, after Adam and Eve and the people were pitched out of the garden, then it looked as though perhaps there would be some good news. Noah was a righteous man. Was this the man who would crush the head of Satan? Uh, so Noah... Uh, God communicated with him and, and he was reckoned as righteous. He trusted in God. Uh, the world was very wicked, but Noah, he recognized that there was one true living God. So God entered into a relationship with him. They entered into a covenant. And uh, uh, although the wickedness of the world was great, um, there was going to be a way of salvation through this wickedness. And we have the ark, of course, as the first illustration of of salvation in the Old Testament. And those who were in the ark were rescued. Those that were outside the ark, they uh, suffered the, the judgment. And after this great act of salvation, which Noah and his family experienced, then God made this, this wonderful promise with a sign that he gave as, a, as an illustration of his covenant love, the rainbow. And he said, while earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night would never cease. And as a response to that, Noah, he had a sacrifice. He offered a blood sacrifice. But of course, that's pointing forward to the Lord Jesus, whose blood alone can cleanse us from all sin. He is the one who alone has been appeared once and for all to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So you've got a little illustration of, of Jesus in the story of Noah. Then you come to, will we look at Abraham? Do you remember Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where, where God took Abraham and he said, uh, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Uh, out of you will, will come uh, um, a, a posterity. You will have a, a people. You will have a land. And I'm going to do in and through you something that you cannot imagine. And, and Abram believed the Lord, and that was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so God gave Abraham a covenant sign for himself and for his family. And uh, then... Uh, they began the journey uh, to, to the promised land and, and God tested Abraham and said, take your son, this beloved son through whom the uh, 
uh, promise would come. Uh, the Satan uh, crusher would come. And God said, take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and, uh, and be prepared to sacrifice him. And Abraham was prepared to give up his one and only son. And his hand was stayed and, and the lamb, the ram was caught in the thicket. Who is that pointing forward to? To the Lord Jesus, the one who has died on our behalf. The one who has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. So you have this covenant that uh, uh, God made with Abraham and gave him uh, this, this covenant sign, the sign of circumcision. And he said, this is a sign that will remind you of my covenant love for you to which you are called for obedience. I won't go into all of them, but look at Moses. I mean, we've, we've, we've had a little illustration of the covenant love that, that God has given to the Hebrew people in the book of Exodus. And uh, you remember that God gave to uh, uh, to Moses and to the children of Israel the uh, blessing of the Passover and they were to take the lamb without spot, without blemish and when a household was protected by the blood of the lamb and the doorposts then the angel of death passed over that house and the, the sins were remembered no more now when did that happen? that happened before the giving of the law so God showed his grace to his people. God showed a sacrificial love to his people in the shedding of blood before the obligations of law. So God is a gracious God who loves his people, not because they were lovely, but because he loved them long before he required anything of them. So for some people to say, oh, in the Old Testament, God is a God of law and in the New Testament, God is a God of love. They understand neither the New Testament nor the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, God is a God of grace who always shows what he has done before he asks anything of his people. And in the New Testament, he shows us what he has done and he asks us for obedience uh, in return. So everything in the Old Testament is of the same covenant God the God of love and of mercy and of freedom, looking forward to fulfillment in the cross. And everything in the, in the New Testament is looking back with exactly the same way, the same God of love, the same God of mercy, the same God of freedom, looking back. And freedom is to be found in Jesus himself. We could say that the Old Testament is, is everything in shadows, but the shadows become evident in the New Testament. Or someone has put it this way. We start off with the, with the Old Testament being the rose in bud form. And in the New Testament, the same rose is there, except it has now fully opened up and become evident for all to, to see. So everything in the Bible, Old and New Testament, is Christological. It speaks of of Christ. But in the Old Testament, you've got these various symbols, and there is progressive revelation so that in the, in the New Testament, we can finally look back and say, yes, now I understand how all that information about the covenants for Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David, how they're all fulfilled in Jesus. God has shown his love. He has given his covenant love to his people, to which he has called for obedience. And there were believers in the Old Testament 
who trusted in the promises of God. The church of Jesus Christ existed long before the cross. But of course, in the cross, then we understand how the old is made new because Jesus is the new covenant. And what he has done for us in the cross is where he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He calls us once and for all to respond to him and to live our lives in obedience and faith for him. So here we've got the picture. Does it make any sense what we're talking about here? Trying to give the big picture uh, so that we see how uh, this God that we're talking about here is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me just give you one more thing before, before I finish. Remember we said that uh, God has communicated to his people through the covenants. A covenant is where God takes the initiative. He reaches out to his people. He gives his people illustrations of what he has done for the, for the people. And it always requires sacrifice. There's always a cost in a covenant. But there's always a call for obedience and a response of faith. So when uh, God gave his uh, covenant uh, love and call to Abraham, he also gave him a covenant sign. And that sign was circumcision. And when God communicated to Abraham, he said, I'm going to make a promise to you. And it's going to be a very special promise. And this is a promise for, for a called out people who are to belong to me, to be mine. And they're, they're I'm going to give you a, a visual aid, a, a symbol, a sign that will remind you who you belong to. And so Abraham was circumcised at the age of 99, but he was also then asked to circumcise his teenage son. And then when his youngest son was born uh, at a few days of age, he was also circumcised. So the... Uh, uh, special called out people, uh, given this covenant, uh, sign is set out as belonging to God, were given a sign of this promise that had been made. And it was a very physical sign. It was a sign that required cutting. And often uh, the uh, promises in the Old Testament required a cutting because it was saying, uh, as this symbol is, is cut we're cutting an agreement and if you remain faithful this promise will be made for you if you if you go away in disobedience from God you will be cut off from God so it was a very solemn thing so God uh, gave Abraham the sign of circumcision that required a cutting but it was also a sign of cleansing because it was saying when God comes into your heart, comes into your life, he, he's going to cleanse you. He's going to make you new. He's pointing forward to the one who alone will cleanse. This, this symbol that was given of circumcision also required the shedding of blood. Um, there can be no true cleansing without, without a cost, without the shedding of blood. And this was also a sign of new life. It was a sign of entry and it was a sign that was placed on the boy's organ of procreation 
It was a sign saying, this is a sign of new life. This is not something that you have asked for, but God has made his covenant with his people. He loves you. He cares for you. You're privileged to have this sign. Every day of your life, you are reminded to whom you belong. You are responsible to him. He has loved you. Now respond to him with every part of your being. And whether or not the uh, lad chose to obey and love the Lord right through their life, they had this physical sign of cleansing, of the cost of redemption being pointed to, uh, that was a promise that had been made to his family, to his uh, parents, to the succeeding generation. Now, we move forward through to the New Testament and uh, to the reconstituted Israel. The Holy Spirit comes, but the Holy Spirit comes uh, and does a new work within the hearts and lives, not just of the Jewish people, but also of the Gentiles. So the Gentiles must also receive the covenant sign. Uh, it's not a sign that is only for Jews, but it's also for Gentiles. It's not just for Jewish boys, but it's also for Jewish girls. So what is an appropriate entry sign? It's the sign of baptism. So those who trust in the Lord Jesus, immediately they are baptized. And that is from whatever age. But this promise of the Holy Spirit and God being with his people is not just for believers, but is also for their believers' family. Because the children of believers are not just like little pagans. They are heirs of the promises of grace. And so it is entirely appropriate, as we know from the uh, incidences of household baptism in the New Testament, that not only would the believer, but also the children of the believers would receive the sign of baptism, which is a sign of entry. It's a sign of cleansing. It's a sign of new life. Why is there no longer needed uh, uh, blood, sacrifice, uh, blood cutting? Because remember, we're looking here forward to Jesus. Here we're looking back to Jesus. Jesus on the cross, he died for our sins. He was the one who sacrificed himself for us. So that all the sacrifices in the Old Testament are pointing forward to Jesus. But he is the one who alone has sacrificed himself for us. He has given his life so that we would no longer have to have a blood sacrifice. And so when we have the covenant sign in the New Testament, whether it is of the Lord's Supper, we use bread, we use wine. We no longer have to have blood shed. Jesus has shed his blood. And in the uh, New Testament, uh, the covenant sign requires no longer the shedding of blood. It uses water, which also is the sign of, of washing, of cleansing, looking back to the blood that was shed by Jesus. So do you see the continuity? Do you see how this is the story that has begun way, way back in the book of Genesis? It's pointing forward to Jesus. And in the New Testament, it's all pointing back to Jesus. The one story, it's the one railway line. Jesus is the captain. He is the one who takes us through all the promises right through from beginning to the end. And so the flower is fully revealed. As in Adam all died, so in Christ all are made alive. And this is where it is so, so fantastic. And this is where I end. What is the purpose for God's people? We of all people, 
our most privileged because we know to whom we belong. We belong to one who has chosen us from the beginning of time. We did not choose him, he chose us. He has placed his mark upon us. He has granted us the Holy Spirit so that now when we uh, have the law that is read, as Jeremiah said, 600 years before Christ came, this new covenant would come. Jesus would come and write the law upon our hearts. The Holy Spirit would enable us to do what we could never do in our own strength. We know to whom we belong. We belong to the God who has loved us before the beginning of time. We belong to the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of freedom. We know to whom we belong. We know why we are here. We are here for relationship with the living Lord. So we can enjoy him. Man's chief end is to enjoy God, to love him and enjoy him forever. We know who we are. We know why we are here and we know where we are going because God has an ultimate purpose. We started in the garden, we finished in the city. There in the city, we have the tree of life where the first Adam failed, the last Adam has succeeded. Satan's head will have been crushed at that time. The flower that was was in bud has now come to full bloom we know where we are going we have been made for this journey of freedom we have been taken out of slavery we are taken to the promised land let's watch this final video for the last two and a half minutes grace grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.